This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hi. Hello. We're back. Mistakes. Ow. I am currently reckoning with the discovery that um, my and my fellow queer friends' (laughs) incompetence with cars Uh might be costing me several hundred dollars. So Venmo on ya. So Venmo me, because we're we may have figured out how to change a tire, but we forgot to um, take the flat tire with us, and so now I have to replace the whole thing because we were like, we probably don't need this, right? <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Oh, uh, it's okay. You know, life is about lessons, and why would I want to know something that straight men in general are the keepers of that knowledge? Yeah, duh. that's already taking up so much of their brain space that's for them to know and for me to learn the hard way yeah (laughs) kind of like you know emotional things and um just general i don't know i was gonna say actually i'm i do learn emotional things the hard way too maybe i should learn like a couple things about cars if i'm gonna own one yeah might be worth it. Might be worth it. Why also, not? like, and if anything, the fact that straight men in general are the ones that know so much about so much about cars is a testament to how easy it must be to learn about true. cars. True, 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 true. <laughs> so, if any um, lesbians listening to this want to tutor me in car knowledge, I would so much rather learn it from you than from one of those. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> I miss the days of being really attracted to straight guys. It was it was simpler times for sure. It was so simple, uh, so simple. Yeah, so simple. didn't have to really listen to anything they were saying. So easy to fuck. <laughs> they were they are the easiest demographic to fuck. Like just snap far. at them, snap your fingers at them, and they will fuck you. <laughs> Sometimes even if you don't want them to. Yeah, kind of always <laughs> if you don't want them to. <laughs> so you know, maybe a little too easy to fuck. Yeah, a little traumatizingly easy to fuck sometimes. Ugh, but. Anyway, I could use some right. I could use a straight man right now. If you <laughs> are for some reason a straight man that listens to this podcast Why? and you want to um, redistribute the wealth of your um, how easy your life is, teach me about cars. Yeah, in the least condescending way possible, and Venmo preferably, and Venmo me so I can replace this fucking tire. Yeah, <laughs> so we have places to go. Stupid. We have places to go. So figure it out. So so figure it out. Veranya. Um, please. Please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> please. I'll uh return the favor by teaching you about astrology. Yeah. Or if you Venmo Anya, I'll tell you how my trans pussy works. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, yeah. let you, I'll let you see it for free if you Venmo Anya. <laughs> okay. Well that's you're contributing way too much to this. <gasps> cause at this point someone might i mean someone should look at it (laughs) crying cobwebs at this point (laughs) this community of queers that we hang out with my god 
<laughs> well, you know, um, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Scratch Nika's pussy, and we'll scratch my. Car's Don't scratch pussy. my pussy. A straight guy scratched my clit once while he was fingering me. Yeah, couldn't walk for a day without waddling. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is not a straight person specific. Oh, I believe behavior. I believe kind of anyone who fingers pussies will sometimes think that like a certain nail length is acceptable. And I'm like, no, it's still scratching me. And Ooh, they like pierced it. <laughs> All right. Well, Venmo me, cut your nails. Venmo Anya, cut your nails. Look at my pussy. And um, teach me about cars. And teach Anya about cars. And then, and only then, will we give you the, this is an okay straight man pass. We'll give you the, you'll be a card carrying member totally. of the like vaguely acceptable straight men. Yeah. But if anyone who's not a straight man can give us any of that without being one of those, far more preferable. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Anyway, so that's what's going on for me. Kind of right out the gate talking about a mistake. (laughs) So um, this week we're not fucking around. No, we're not. Straight down to business. Um, Right into the pod. Have you ever done something very silly stupid that other people just know not to do tell us let me know that's the whole point is um fucking solidarity okay so comfort me please yeah so Um, anya made a mistake i'm not depressed anymore yeah nika is um on day one of an upswing i went to bed manic i knew that i was manic when i couldn't fall asleep because it was that kind of manic I was like, oh, I want the day to start. Oh. It was 3 a.m. Okay. I was like, I could stay up until the sun came up and then start my day. Oh, yeah. But then I fell asleep. But I fell asleep at 4.30 and woke up at 8.30 yeah, like a Disney manic. princess. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to make coffee. And the birds dressed yeah, you. Yeah, gorgeous day. <laughs> yeah. As I was like, <sighs> so I'm manic. For sure. We love to hear that. Yeah. Headbanging to Mitzi in my bedroom while I listened to um, your best American girl on repeat for like an hour. Definitely mm-hmm. sent me over the edge. Yeah. Thank so, God. As soon as you're... Well, Mitzi is kind of like a litmus test of if you're manic or depressed. <laughs> because like there's a lot of songs of hers that if you're playing it on repeat, it means you're in a deep depressive episode. Yeah. And there's a lot of songs of hers that if you're playing it on repeat, you're like in the, the the part of a manic episode where you're still like in a lot of pain but you're like yeah. indulging in it. Yeah. And then there's some songs of hers that are just straight up bangers. Yeah. Regardless of her own diagnosis or lack thereof, I'm I'm not the keeper of that knowledge. Um she has made the theme music for the bipolar girlies totally <laughs> yeah her and florence oh yeah florence Welch. oh my god can they go on tour together oh that would be iconic i don't know if i would physically be able to live to the end of the concert yeah that would be a lot i think it would make my um i think i would just like have a heart attack from feeling too much yeah yeah, I don't know what Florence is either. I can't, I don't know if she has any diagnosis. I know she's like struggled with mental health, mental health, but, but I'm like, you have to be bipolar because free is a bipolar oh, anthem. Literally her it's entire, about being manic. her entire discography is a bipolar. Anthem. Yeah. Like there isn't a single Florence in the machine song that isn't about being bipolar, whether she meant it to be that or not. Singing the words, pick me up, put me down over and over and over again <laughs> is about being manic. 
<laughs> yeah, fully. Especially yeah. to that beat and that yeah. like melody. It's like okay. I mean, she literally opens a song saying, "Sometimes I would, well, sometimes I wish I was medicated. Sometimes I wonder if I should be medicated. medicated. If life would be better if, if I, I was slightly, sedated. Slightly sedated. sedated. Yeah, manic. Yeah, manic. <laughs> For sure. Shout out to our. They say it's all in my head. Let's talk about it in the hospital instead. Yeah, Florence, <laughs> come on the pod. Come on the pod, Mitski and Florence. Come on the pod. Icon legends that we are going to be seeing in concert. Yes. In uh, the next few months. Oh my God. Insane. What an insane year. We have a big, we like our summer and fall is a music festival. Yeah. It's like we got a crazy lineup on Anya yeah. and Nika's personal music festival. Lucy Dacus next month and Mitski a few days later. Oh, we're also seeing Phoebe Bridgers and Muna. Yeah, and we're um, going to Honcho, which we're is going to Honcho. literally a music festival. I'm seeing Florence and the Machine in September. We're going to be giving like a um, like timeshare pitch, <laughs> but for each like band or artist we're obsessed with. Absolutely. <laughs> After each respective timeshares. I'd be good at that. Yeah. I honestly am like, what can I do that I can use my gift of gab for? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would love to just sell people on multi-level marketing schemes. <laughs> yeah, I would. Like on- our Patreon. Yeah. Subscribe. At this point, I would do anything for money. <laughs> Except like join the military just because like I don't like listening to that much um, like authority, you know? Yeah. But if it were like a chiller vibe, I would join the military. <laughs> If the military were like slightly more of a vibe. Yeah, I would join. All right. Well, (laughs) that's an insane thing to say. If they didn't, if you could do drugs in the military. There we go. I would join. I joined like the Coast Guard. They got to be on the water all the time. Mm. They're just on like boats. For sure. Ships, whatever they're on. I mean, a lot of them are also just, they just have office jobs. I would do it. (laughs) Okay. Anya's rolling their eyes at me because I'm being an imperialist right now. <laughs> Whatever. Trans people should be allowed to have experiences that everyone else gets to have. Mm-hmm. I mean... We deserve to join the military if we want. Not no, I guess. Who am I? <laughs> Who am I to say no to that? That's true liberation. Yeah, don't say no to my dream of being a trans woman in the military. <laughs> anyway. Um... Sorry, the combination of this full latte I just drank and the bad financial news I just got and everything you just said just in this moment um, sparked up like the beginnings of a panic attack in my chest. So we're just going to contend with that for the rest of the episode. Let's keep it in check. <laughs> no more military jokes. Got it. <laughs> like the tightness that just took over my um, chest cavity. I'm like... Okay, I wanted to massage your sternum for you while we record. (laughs) I need to put like an ice pack on my sternum. Isn't that like one of the things that you can do? I don't know. Oh, you didn't know that that's... Aren't you like the panic attack extraordinaire? Yeah, I don't know how to... If I knew how to solve them. (laughs) Um, Putting an ice pack on your chest like resets the like nerve. Oh, I didn't know that. And it like basically like halts panic attacks in their tracks. Great. I had no idea. Great. What else? Um, you know, not much. It's been a pretty quiet week. I've just been trying to get out of being depressed. And here I am cautiously optimistic. Um, that's about it. And then at the very end of the month, come to our pride wind down party on June 30th. Yes. Very last day of the month. Parkside Lounge, 7pm. Um, June 30th is our next So True Bestie. 
So come on through. And um, if you haven't yet, listen to our live episode. If you want to hear what yes. the show is all about. Do it. It's fun. It's quirky. It's cute. Shall we segment? Let's segment. Mistakes, keepsakes, and hot takes. All right. My mistake this week. Definitely this tire situation and how much money this is about to cost me for literally just being stupid. Um, Let's okay. Enough of that self-talk on you. You just didn't know. You just didn't know. You didn't know. Um, But annoying that something that was going to be about half the price is now twice the price because I just didn't have the information that I could have and should have had. But anyway, so my mistake is just being automobile incompetent while owning an automobile. Um, so if anyone has like a Cars for Dummies book you recommend, let me know. Maybe I'll start watching those YouTube videos, like those <laughs> car bro YouTube videos. It just seems, you know how some things just feel like none of your business? Yes. How a car works is one of those things. Hmm. I'm like, I just get in it and drive yeah. it. No, totally. How everything's working, none of my business. Absolutely. The same way that like a lot of us feel about our phones. Yeah. Like I'll use the thing, but knowing how it's doing, what I need it to do. Yeah. I. That's just too much to take in. Yeah. I have shows to watch. Absolutely. I have parties to go to. I have a podcast to record. Um, I mean, there are so many things in our day-to-day life that we have no idea how they work. So my body. Literally my body. None of my business. I mean, <laughs> that's how I felt up until I went to the hospital last year. None of my business. None of my business. It's working. If, if it seems like it's working. It, it is. That, it is. That's enough for me. <laughs> I don't need to know anything else. And then the second it seems like it's not, I'll just go to the hospital and they'll tune me up. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Change my oil. <laughs> Fix me up real good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's my mistake. My keepsake, my dad visited New York this past weekend and I did a bunch of fun touristy shit. And um, I don't know, it's just like fun to experience your city in a touristy way. You like, you know, when you live here, I've lived here for six years and like I've, I've done a lot more touristy things than a lot of my other friends have because I actually just love touristy stuff Mm -hmm. but um I don't do them as often as I would like so when my dad came we like took a this like boat tour that takes you around the entirety of Manhattan like the entire island and that was so cool like I'd never obviously seen the city from that perspective before like I've been I've been on a boat in the river before but like never all the way around all going through all three rivers that like border Manhattan you know um and then yeah I I also got to perform on a really amazing big show for him and I mean not just for him but he was there for it and um the show was at House of Yes and they had a tattoo artist um giving $40 flash tattoos and I was like I haven't seen a $40 flash tattoo in New York City maybe ever like New York is yeah Famously, like most shop minimums are like $200. Yeah. Um, and so I got like a tiny tattoo. The, the keepsake, the thing that I'm going to literally keep with me is this tattoo I got this weekend that I'm excited about because I haven't gotten a new tattoo in a while and I've been wanting to like 
get back into getting tattoos because I love the process of getting a tattoo. I love what tattoos kind of represent to me and like the way that they remind me of like the parts of my life that I got them during. And um, so it's nice to break the seal on tattoos and hopefully um, take that momentum all the way to our matching tattoo that we're going to get hopefully in like a month. Yes. Um, so yeah, excited to be a tatted babe again. Um, and my hot take, um, I feel like we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it bears repeating that being like generally concerned about older people who have a habit and a pattern of like specifically seeking out younger partners, um, for like power dynamic reasons that doesn't entitle you to then psychoanalyzing every relationship with an age difference totally and it's just very like it's starting to feel very puritanical and annoying and general like overgeneralizing for all the like takes i keep seeing about like a 29 year old and a 19 year old never have anything in common so like if he's 29 and he's hitting on you like ask yourself like why does this person like what does he actually like about me or whatever that like all these fucking warning messages that people send about like how every older person is inherently predatory it just is always getting on my nerves Mm. and um i don't think that it's wrong to hold people's feet to the fire if like they're doing a leonardo dicaprio thing of like wow you just straight up never date someone older than like Mm -hmm. 25 and you're like in your 50s like that is a pattern and it like it is worth interrogating what it is this person is getting out of these repeated younger relationships. Mm. But like when two people are simply dating each other um, and they happen to have an age difference and like there isn't more to the story than that, you don't need to read between the lines and make more to the story. Like you're not actually helping anybody. You're if anything, infantilizing the younger adult in the situation. I mean, obviously, I'm saying all this assuming that they're both adults. If someone is underage, then, like, obviously, that's worth questioning slash being um, downright concerned or angry about. But, like, yeah, I don't know. A 19-year-old and a 29-year-old can date each other without it being any of your business, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, it reminds me of when uh, somebody tweeted... um, and I like retweeted them because I didn't realize that we literally follow each other and then I felt bad. But like whatever. It tweeted that they like um, that they had like so, which I doubt this happened because people do be lying. On <laughs> but they were like, yeah, LOL tonight. I like successfully like shamed a 25 year old into like breaking up with his 19 year old girlfriend. LOL. I'm like, OK, that actually didn't happen. Um, but two, like, why would you want that to happen? Because 19 and 25 is not. A predatory age gap. No. And also, like, again, age gaps are not inherently predatory, as you just... Unless it's, like, literally illegal. It's (laughs) also, like... um, I I feel like often the assumption is that this 19-year-old is having the exact same life you had when you were 19. And I'm like, so maybe you were not a 19-year-old that had anything in common with a 29-year-old. Yeah, like, stop projecting, But, like, not all of us were in the incubator of going to college. Like a lot of us went right into the workforce. And like when you, when you go right into the workforce from like, you know, 
from high school, you are suddenly surrounded by adults who are your peers and are not just other like students at college that are your exact same age. Like at 18, I like I had multiple close friends that were in their 40s that were just because we met through work or we met through stand up comedy. And they were like. Granted, like being in that much older than me, they like took it seriously that they were kind of mentor figures to me as in addition to being my friends. But like, I don't know. It's just because you were a 19 year old that had nothing in common with older adults doesn't mean like no 19 year old does. Totally. Um, And like when I was 19, I dated a 29 year old and we met through our commonalities. We met through our common interests. We met through our friends we had in common. We like... To say that 19-year-olds and 29-year-olds never have anything in common is just, like, so reductive, in my opinion, and also so infantilizing of that 19-year-old who, like, like I said, not all 19-year-olds go through that, like, phase of still kind of being kids. Still, it's so weird. When I was 16, my best friends that I was hanging out with all the time were between the ages of 20 and 24. Yeah. Like... And like, and I, I love when people, if you give them any of this personal anecdote history, they're like, oh, like, it's sad that you don't see that you were being groomed. It's like, girl, I know I have been groomed in my lifetime. I know which experiences were those grooming experiences. You actually don't need to groom explain it to me. I was genuinely in love when I was in love and I was being um abused when I was being abused and those are my experiences that I know way more about than you do and that's kind of the whole point I'm trying to make here is that you can be generally critical of like the idea of a serial age gap dater and you don't have to then insert yourself into everybody's business and insert yourself and speak for everyone who's in an age gap relationship like And, you know, there are various versions of age gaps that are various levels of concerning. And I just feel that, like, you just don't, like, outside of having your own personal opinion about it, you don't really need to make it, um, you don't need to insert yourself into anyone else's business. No, it's... And if you personally are the mother of that 19-year-old and you want to express that concern to that 19-year-old, Go for it. But if you're a stranger on the internet, fuck off. It's just like very clear to me who's actually um, like living out in the world and who is like kind of living just fully online. Because I just I rarely have these conversations with people outside in the world. Yeah. Like it's just always people online who are like chronically online in a way that like it's clear that they're only online. They're like not they don't have like an enriched social life. Yeah. It's weird to me. And, you know, I'm like, join a book club, get a friend, but like go to like your local YMCA. Also, whenever like something that I often see in conjunction with these opinions is someone being like, and I'm 24 and I have nothing to say to a 19 year old. Like I have not like no reason to ever be friends with like an 18 or 19 year old. You're going to be in a situation one day where you meet someone and get along with them, whether it's at work or like at a party or like a friend of a friend. And you're going to be like shocked by how cool and normal and an like and mature for lack of a better word how mature for their age <laughs> no not even mature for their age just like generally mature and interesting yeah 
an 18 or 19 year old can be. And I'm not saying that I'm personally interested in dating any of them because that's like you because you are dating. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that Kim Cattrall article. I don't want to be in a situation with a 19 year old for even a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, the are the it's I don't want to be in a situation where I'm not myself for even a minute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. For even an hour. For even an hour. yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely just joking. I mean, I literally they're. I do know cool 20 and 19 year olds. Same. I have, hung friends, out with them. I have friends who are 19 and 20 ish that age um, who I've met through various means. Like one of them is one of them is the child of one of the friends I mentioned earlier who's like in their 40 or who was in their 40s at the time, probably now in their 50s um, that I became friends with when I was 18. Her daughter is now 19 or 20 and is yeah. now also one of my friends. Yar. And... I feel like older adults and younger adults socializing with each other and being friends with each other at the very least is like actually a really important part of like society functioning and an important part of like the dissemination of knowledge, both between like older generations teaching younger generations lessons they've already learned, but also younger generations teaching older generations like new perspectives and like fresh takes on old ideas. And if we like, I don't know if we self segregate in this way where it's like completely inappropriate for older adults to even be like friends with younger adults. I just don't think that that's going to be productive at all. And it's also unnatural. It's not how society functions. Yeah. Like it's not. We interact with each other intergenerationally and that's okay. And as long as human beings exist, people who are um, who have large age gaps are going to be attracted to each other and um, fall in love with each other. And as long as everyone's a consenting adult and like, as long as everyone in the situation is happy, I just don't see how it's any of your fucking business. Yep. Agreed. And yeah, if a 45 year old man continues to only date 21 year olds, let's maybe wonder why that is. But it's, so fucking weird to apply that to every single age difference relationship you ever hear of. Yeah. I'm over it. That's my hot take. <laughs> um, okay. My turn. My mistake. Um, I don't know. I like didn't really do anything all week. So it's like not many mistakes were even able to be made. Um, I guess I feel like just my like, uh, like a never ending mistake of the last 35 days. It's so long. Um, has just been the depression self hate loop that I have been in. I don't even want to say like have been in because I'm like, I'm sure it'll come back to rear its ugly head even while I'm manic. Um, but yeah, just like the self hate, um, loop that I've been in and it's a mistake because and I've said this I've talked about this before on this podcast we've talked about this before um I have come to understand and to remind myself and have been reminded by friends in this last month that it is actually like quite disrespectful to project your like self-hatred and self-anxiety onto your friends as what they must be thinking about you or feeling about you because it's not fair to them because you're essentially you're you know in one way you're like kind of calling them liars and like another (laughs) way you're kind of you're just you're not like really honoring who they are telling you that they are and who they're telling you that they believe you are even if you don't believe it yourself that like you are this person that they see um 
And so I've been in that, you know, I've been in that mode all month of. It's also like insulting their taste. Yeah, it's just insulting. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, you think I can't choose a good friend? (laughs) Um, Interesting. Yeah, and I've definitely been in that place all month of just, you know, um, making that mistake of of telling myself that what my friends see in me is actually not true and that they're either like insane for liking me or that they have like that I've successfully been able to pull like the wool over their eyes and to trick them into thinking that I'm someone that I'm not. So that's been a mistake. Um, But my keepsake is that I'm not depressed (laughs) as of today. Um, And that I'm, you know, I'm like one day closer to my appointment with a psychiatrist and to being medicated, which is exciting, but it still feels way too far away. Um, But we're getting there. We're so, so close. Um, that's a keepsake. No longer being in the trenches of that depressive episode. It was truly horrendous. <laughs> um, oh, the spectrum of human experience. And what is my hot take? Um, my hot take is that... Okay, my hot take is that um, movies don't have to be... Movies don't have to mean anything in order for you to enjoy them. And they don't have to be like representing your personal like niche micro experience within a community for it to be a good movie for parts of that community. I am subtweeting Fire Island right now, but in a good way, because I personally loved that movie and I watched it this week. And if anyone has not watched it and doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about, it's a new movie that just came out. And it is about a predominantly cis male gay friend group. The two leads are two Asian American gay actors. And it's about their experience as a chosen family on Fire Island for a week during the summer. And there's only one main female character in the movie played by Margaret Cho, who is like the much older lesbian house mom who like owns the house that they stay in on Fire Island. And there are like many jokes made throughout the movie of like the role that she plays in the group. And it's both like, I think kind of like a funny kind of critique of like where women fall into these gay boy centric friend groups. And then also just like, where we fall into these gay boy centric friend groups just because. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of jokes about the boys being like, yeah, like we don't need a mom, but we let her pretend like she is our mom or her making jokes being like, Oh, you guys only like love me and you're only friends with me because I own this house. And it's like, you know, she's like the, she's also a lesbian uh, in the movie. So like that is also part of it. Um, And this uh, writer for New York magazine, who is a lesbian, I guess tweeted, talking about how like the movie is fucked up because it like relegated women to this like queer women to this fucked up role and like gay male friend groups and like oh like what a lesbian trope and like the only other woman the only other lesbians at the end of this movie who like there's this funny scene where a romantic kind of moment is happening on the ferry back to fire island into cherry grove and this like angry older lesbian like interrupts the moment it's like can you hurry the fuck up i want to get to cherry grove (laughs) and it's like fun and all the guys are like okay and it's like funny it's just it's just a movie like it's just like a rom-com it's It's also like part of queer representation is also queer in jokes yeah and like kind of like on this podcast we'll sometimes like make jokes about like how like the gay man the g and lgbtq needs to like shut the fuck up or whatever like 
Obviously, if straight people were like making that joke, we would be the first to fucking yeah. go to bat. But like once you're like within the community, there are like in jokes about the relationships between all the different identities and like the like funny tension that can exist between like queer men and queer women yeah. or like queer femmes and queer masculine people. Like that is part of this movie I haven't seen it but like yeah. it is part of what I understand makes this movie like special and makes it funny is that it's like jokes that we already make but like yeah. in a movie for us finally yeah and like listen I had my own feelings watching the movie that had nothing to do with the movie itself but like had to do with the actual real life experience of being in this community so like Several times throughout the movie, I was, like, feeling some type of way about being, like, fuck, there are, like, no women in this movie. Like, there are, like, there's, like, two women in this movie. Oh, look, there's, like, a 0.5-second shot of, like, a trans woman who's, like, a drag queen at, like, a party. But, like, and that made me bummed. Or being, like, you know, uh, our friend Charlene wrote a really, really beautiful, succinct thread about, like, the way that the movie made her feel as a trans woman who, like, is also a faggot and, like both like the joy she experienced watching it, but also like kind of the pain that she felt watching it as like a trans woman who like doesn't really have the unfettered access to like this kind of joy that like the gay boys in the movie are experiencing. Yeah. But like never once was I like that should have been like in the movie, (laughs) like because it wasn't about the movie itself. The feelings that we were both feeling or that anyone might be feeling are just about the actual real life community. Yeah. So it's like, and the movie being a reflection of the real life community doesn't make the movie itself probably problematic yeah. or bad it is if anything it just like highlights the things that we have to work on yeah. in real life and it's like it was a specific movie about a specific experience like about these specific boys and like they're this is, like the problem with like queer media is that queer people like all have their like problematic faves when it comes to the straight media they consume because they don't hold it to a standard that needs to represent them fuck we were talking about this recently where there's like straight like queer icons i can't really think of any right now off the top of my head and i know they'll come to me i mean like madonna yeah i don't i don't actually know what madonna's certified sexuality is but for the most part has been living as like a straight woman and has been receiving a lot of like accolades from the queer community but also like culture vultured like voguing yeah and isn't like her feet are not really held to the fire by the queer community to an extent that like if a queer person who made queer media did an, a similar egregious act, yeah. queer people would like send them to the guillotines. Yeah. Well, and like, I gotta be honest, I, I, I get part of me gets it. It's like it's scarcity mindset, right? It's like, there's so little representation for queer people that like when any subgroup in the community is represented by that group, people like freak out if they're not feeling seen in it. But it's like that the resp- the answer to that should just be to make more queer media yeah. if you're a per- if you're an artist who wants to. And like I come up against this a lot where like I've been working on a screenplay for the last year of like, well, I would like to be an eventual show that's like, you know, a dark comedy based off of my own experience as like a trans queer woman. And I like find myself taking really long breaks from it a lot because I get like very like I- I've been like often like paralyzed with fear at the like you know, prospect of like, what if this ever actually turned into something and like got picked up? Like what would the response be from people in the queer community who would be like pissed that like it wasn't, it's like not like accurate or like they weren't represented or like, you know, it's like, I'm it's because that's what we do. That's what people do. It's like, so it's like, I'm like, how many people, how many other artists are out there? Like, 
feeling that way because they're afraid of like the fucking vultures coming for them totally. in their own community. Totally. And it's like, and it's weird. not something that like, it's not something that like straight men who make media for straight men are ever really up against. No, like it's like, there are so many like comedies about hyper specific experiences that um, like straight people go through just within that comedy that like, you don't hear straight people being like, well, this isn't how, straight relationships actually are or like this isn't how that like and obviously the reason behind that is because they don't have to pick apart media to find their own representation and I understand that but it's like true um equal representation is like the ability to be able to make media about your own specific experience and not be like responsible for the entire community's experience yeah and it's not for lack of thoughtfulness that not every identity is represented in that movie. It's because it's just not the experience that they're writing about. Yeah. And I was like, bitch, the fuck up. Cause like, I, I know it's like, it shouldn't be, you know, this shouldn't even be a thing what I'm about to say, but it is because misogyny, but it's like, bitch now, you know, you fucking being a queer woman and like having this big ass platform and saying something so fucking stupid and annoying, just like really perpetuates the fucking stereotype that like queer women cannot hang. And yeah, that we have no fucking joy and that we like can't hang in like, you know, the gay boy spaces. And I'm actively trying to fucking fight against that. You annoying bitch, because guess what? They're the ones constantly having fun. And like, I want to keep hanging out with them, even if they're fucking annoying, but they throw a mean party and you don't yeah. because you're bitching about fucking bad lesbian stereotypes and a movie that was funny mm-hmm. and had nothing to do with the lesbian character yeah like chill yeah chill out uh, put it in the group chat you know like <laughs> me and my girlies texted about the movie we had our own critiques we're not tweeting about them <laughs> come on grow up that's my hot take movies don't fucking need to mean anything to you like they can just be a movie and it's it can just, just be a funny rocking and rolling good time yeah go watch Fire Island <laughs> I haven't seen it yet it's really, really good. Um, what was the fuck up of the week? Fuck up of the week. Could be Elon Musk um, trying to like back out of buying Twitter essentially because he seemingly can't afford it. Well, now he's like freaking out on Twitter about the fact that like uh, he's been lied to about the amount of like bots and shit on Twitter. And that is why he like doesn't know if he can enter into this deal anymore. He's essentially trying to back out of buying Twitter because his he's like lost so much money while trying to do this merger. He's lost like billions of dollars. And so now people are like, now people are saying that it seems like he just can't afford Twitter. But instead of saying that, he's trying to make it seem like he's pissed off about like the privacy issues and like the bot issues on Twitter. Uh Um, There's been a funny meltdown of like the richest man uh, or like what second richest man. One of them. One of them um, not being able to like buy the thing that they want anymore. An article from Bloomberg says a Twitter shareholder wants a judge to force the company to hand over internal files about spam and fake accounts that have become a hot button issue during Elon Musk's takeover bid. And then Robert Reich tweeted that uh, Elon Musk has laid off 10% of Tesla employees um, so that he can make like more money to buy Twitter because he's lost so much money in trying to buy Twitter. Mm-hmm. So it just looks like Elon Musk is not going to be able to buy Twitter. And we which love that. I love. We love. <laughs> but it's a fuck up for him. 
Yeah. And just like he just continues to be one of the more embarrassing people alive. So annoying. Like cannot. And, you know, this is coming from us. He cannot let anything go not be on the Internet. Oh, yeah. Like every thought he has has to be um, publicized and like turned into like the Elon Musk news hour. Yeah. And it's just like if I were a billionaire, I feel like I would simply go be a billionaire. Yeah, you would never see me again. <laughs> Listener mistakes. So this is actually mistake. not a listener mistake. It's a Twitter thread that I found that I think is fucking hilarious. Okay. And um, I wanted to read it on the podcast. Um, if this person happens to listen to the podcast, that would be a great um, coincidence. And then it would technically be a listener mistake. But otherwise, it's just a mistake I found on the internet that is very in line with the vibe of this podcast. So this is um, from at Shockproof Beats. Um, here, actually, well, I guess you should read it because you're re- doing the mistake this week. When I was seven, my teacher told us to write an article about world cultures for school over the weekend. I remembered it late on Sunday, so in a panic, I made up something called the, Is- the Icelandic Fish Festival, figuring said teacher wouldn't know either way. Sister Veronica was one of my favorite teachers. She was a Glaswegian nun who wore a leg brace due to a childhood bout of polio and would tell us all about it. She was funny and kind and always encouraged me writing things. This kind of homework would have been very unusual for her. I wasn't going to let her down. So I stayed up all night making sure the essay delivered on the premise. As it got later and later, it became a bit more unhinged, filled with asides and personal reportage. I believed I quoted the King of Iceland as if he'd spoken to me personally. Can't remember a lot about the Icelandic fish festival itself, but I said it lasted four months and involved everyone eating and dressing as fish. Some of it was written present tense. Was I at the festival? Did I go every year? Who's to say? This was eight pages long. The next morning, I woke up with pen on my face, gathered the sheets of my report like an architect in a rom-com, and readied myself to present it. Surely the finest report to cross her desk all year. In the event, Sister Veronica seemed utterly bemused when I handed it in, for two main reasons. Yes, this was a completely insane report about a very clearly made-up festival, delivered with the breathless cheeriness of a, se- of a segment on a place in the sun. But it was worse than that. The second, in fact, the literal atomic instant that I handed it to her, I realized she'd not asked us to write this at all. I, dre- I had dreamed that she had. So I just written and presented this breezy eight-page memorandum on the, at least on the Icelandic Fish Festival for absolutely no reason. Not knowing what else to do, she smiled and said she'd read it out to the whole class. I said, please, no, don't. But she did. And even they, a room full of Northern Irish seven-year-olds, so genetically sarcastic as to be basically evil, seemed genuinely worried from, from my mental state. For 30 straight years, about once a month, I've thought about that kindly nun, delivering the line, boy, those Icelanders love their fish, and a halting Glaswegian monotone to a room of silent, horrified concern. Enjoy the rest of your day. Um, Okay, that's it. Wow. Very funny. I love that. That brought me a lot of amusement. So so once again, the person who tweeted that thread was at Shockproof Beats, and um, give them a follow if that was funny to you. And... um, yeah, thanks for 
Thanks for sharing that extreme cringe fest on the internet for everyone to enjoy. Amazing. (laughs) I love that. Really, really felt like when I was reading it, I was like, this feels like one of our listener mistakes. I definitely a couple times forgot about something until like the day before it was due and had to just like bullshit my way through it and like kind of get called out by the teacher on that it was clear that I did not put the time into it that I should have. Oh, yeah. But never did I just fully make it up. Yeah, no. <laughs> it no, was always an actual far. assignment. <laughs> yeah. Um, fully. Uh, I'm, I feel so blessed that I am from the generation that um, school and computers were only just starting to like merge because we got to get away with so much um, faking file corruption. Do you, mm-hmm. Did you do that? Yes. <laughs> and like, there's no way that um, present day, like Gen Z and younger have been able to do as much um, buying time for themselves as we got to when we had to bring our assignments in on like flash drives. And then like, oh, no, the file won't open. I guess it's because it didn't download properly on the flash drive or like yeah. whatever. So that's how I would have gotten away with that. Anyway, my deep dive. Deep dive. Deep dive. So your story about getting robbed in Brazil mm-hmm. reminded me of the only time that I've ever been like, objectively just robbed in the street. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've had little things stolen from me. Maybe like pickpocket moments have happened, but then you're like, did was I pickpocketed or did that fall out of my pocket? You know, stuff like that. But, um, the only time I've been like, Oh damn, we were just fucking robbed. (laughs) Um, and hopefully knock on wood. The only time not, it probably won't be ever, but one of the only times let's hope. Um, so I was, This was summer 2017, I want to say. I had just quit my job at a fancy Italian restaurant, which that job quitting was um, like right after a mistake that I've talked about on this podcast about why I was encouraged to quit that Mm -hmm. job. So, you know, listen to all of our episodes ever to hear that mistake somewhere in some in one of them. But so I quit my job. Um, I had a little bit of cushion to live off of for a while. So I was like, you know, rather than invest this cushion in anything or save it wisely, I'm going to go to fucking Europe. Um, So I went to Europe um, to visit my family in the Netherlands and then go to Paris and go to London on my own. And I met up with my friend Kate in London because we met on Tumblr as... um, teenagers actually I was a teenager and she was like 20 when we met I don't know problematic age difference much but at this point I was like 21 mm-hmm. and she was like 25 or something um and just one of my favorite internet friends I ever made and at this point we had already met in real life she had like visited me in America already so this wasn't our first time meeting but it was our first time in in England together where she's from and so we um spent like four days in London And, you know, at this point, I'm already living in New York City. She's been to London specifically many times in her life. Um, We're both people with like, we would like to think with street smarts. So we went to a, um, I was vegan at the time. And there is like a famous restaurant or like a pub rather that has vegan fish and chips. 
And so I was like, I'm in London. I want to have fish and chips. Even if I'm vegan, I'm going to like have this vegan one. And it's it's in like a little bit more of a touristy area than like, I don't know, some of the like more hole in the wall, rough and tumble, like fish and chip shops that have like real fish and chips. Um, And so we go in, we get we order and there's like outdoor seating. So we go and sit in the outdoor seating area because it's a beautiful day. It's the summer in London. And um, this guy comes up to us and like, I don't even remember what he said, but he said something like, in retrospect, intentionally confusing for us to kind of be like, wait, what? And like, try to sort of, he like held our attention. In retrospect, that's what was happening. He was distracting us. And then um, he left. And a few minutes later, we realized that her bag that was sitting like next to her was gone. Oh, no. And we were like, holy shit, that guy just distracted us while someone else came up behind us and like took that. Like that's a classic move. Yeah. And um, I like it ended up being ultimately fine. It was inconvenient because like some of some important stuff was in that bag. But um, her she had other house keys and she had um, another ID I don't think with her, though, and that may have complicated things during our visit is that she just didn't have an ID for the rest of the trip. But she had another ID in life. Yeah. Like at home. And um, one of the only things that we were both like kind of concerned about is that when she came to America, like a year or two before that, we took these like photo booth pictures and then we cut one out and put it into like a picture frame keychain that she had had ever since. Mm-hmm. And that was like really sentimental. And we were like, oh my God, did he take a ba- the bag with like the keys with that keychain on it? But turns out, nope, it was her other oh, keys okay, that had good. that keychain. So everything, like the only thing that was sentimental was the bag itself her friend yeah. had given to her. And so that was kind of a bummer that it was like a really nice gift. Yeah. But then the biggest relief was that it didn't happen with my bag because my bag was the one with my like passport in it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I was abroad and it's way more complicated to be like robbed while you're abroad and for your passport to be taken than to be robbed while you're in the country that you live in and your license to be taken, you know? Absolutely. So ultimately, um, we did count ourselves as lucky in the encounter because it would have been way worse if my bag was the one that was taken but it still sucked for her we ended up having to get other people involved which was also embarrassing like we went into the pub and we were like hey do y'all have like cameras outside like we just want to see if there's like anything we can do about this having happened and they like gave us this look like "Ooh, girls like there's nothing you can do at this point yeah the bag is gone well, I guess this Lucy relates in the sense that y'all were both um, naive and that led to um, distress and to discomfort and to chaos that could have been avoided if you weren't as naive. It could have been avoided if I, if I wasn't vegan. Yeah. Um, which... And that's the real mistake. Oh, leave me alone. Um, which in many ways relates to this week's mistake which is about the gay rights movement that started in Germany in the late 19th century and early uh, early 20th century. Um, and we're talking about the history of that gay rights movement and what eventually led to it um, being destroyed in multiple ways by um, fascists and by Nazis um, in the 1930s in Germany 
and ultimately kind of lost and removed from both German consciousness to this day and international consciousness. Best mistake. It's the end of the summer in 1867, and off the top, I don't know German, so if I fuck up these names, I'm sore sorry. I'm going to do my best, but um, some of these names are just like very hard to say. This one isn't, but I'm sure I'm going to fuck it up anyway. Anyway, the end of summer in 1867, um, specifically the date is August 29th, 1867, and a 42-year-old lawyer named Karl Heinrich Ulrichs is before standing before the Sixth Congress of German Jurists in Munich. And he's here on this day because he is urging the repeal of laws forbidding sex between men, sodomy laws, which at this point were everywhere. Now, it's tense. He's facing an audience of more than 500 distinguished legal figures. And as he is walk, walking to the lectern to give his testimony, he reports years later that he felt a pang of fear He says that he remembers saying to himself, there's still time to keep silent. Then there will be an end to all of your heart heart pounding. Um, But Ulrichs, who had actually earlier disclosed being gay in letters to relatives, didn't stop. And he went on to do something really fucking controversial. He told the assembly that people with a sexual nature opposed to common custom were being persecuted for impulses that nature mysteriously governing and creating had implanted in them. He was saying in 1867 that people are born gay. Obviously, pandemonium erupted and Ulrichs was forced to cut short his remarks. But even with cutting them short, he had an effect. A few liberal minded colleagues accepted his notion of an innate gay identity and a Bavarian official even privately confessed to similar yearnings. Um, and in a pamphlet titled Gladius Furens, or translated in English to Raging Sword, Ulrichs went on to write, I am proud that I found the strength to, to thrust the first lance into the flank of the hydra of public contempt. So he solidifies himself as a huge um, political and social gay rights activist, again in 1867. A, a writer by the name of Robert Beachy wrote a book that I have gotten a lot of these notes from called Gay Berlin, The Birthplace of a Modern Identity. Um, and he describes this moment in history as um, he, he, he says that um, even though same sex love is as old as love itself, the public discourse around it and the political movement to win rights for it can be fully traced to Germany in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Um, and this message or this fact surprises a lot of queer people um, and queer historians and queer scholars because the movement for gay rights and for gay social understanding, we often link it to London in the late 19th century um, during the Oscar Wilde trials and then the Stonewall riots in New York City in the 1960s. Um, And that's just not true. That's not when these conversations started happening. The reason that no one remembers this and that we think that this movement started between the Oscar Wilde trials and the Stonewall riots a few decades later, um, which is kind of crazy to think that those were only like a few decades apart. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's like time is so short. Um, (laughs) The reason that we don't... Life comes at you fast. Life comes at you fast. The reason that we don't 
remember this and we don't talk about this and we don't attribute the movement to beginning to starting in Germany in the late 19th century is because of the brutal repression of gay people and queer people during the Nazi period. Um, and it largely erased German gay, German gay history from international consciousness and even from German memory. Um, Beachy is a historian who teaches at Yonsei University in Seoul, South Korea. And he ends his book by noting that Germans every year hold their own gay pride celebrations in June on what is known to Germans as Christopher Street Day in honor of the street where the Stonewall riots happened. Hmm. Um, And he goes on to say that gayness is cast um, kind of all over the world, but specifically in Germany as an American import. And that just simply isn't true. So Ulrichs was essentially the first gay activist and he encountered censorship and he ends up going into exile in the 18, 1860s. But his ideas very gradually took hold in Germany. And in 1869, a Austrian literator named Karl Maria Kirpany, um, who was also opposed to sodomy laws, coined the term as we now know it, homosexuality. Um, and in the 1880s, a Berlin police uh, police commissioner goes as far as giving up on prosecuting gay bars and instead institutes a policy of what's known as bemused tolerance. He goes as far as to start leading tours in gay bars and in gay neighborhoods in Berlin. So it was a real kind of like, not even a don't ask, don't tell policy because people knew. It's just that cops kind of decided that they had bigger fish to fry. And that doesn't mean that cops weren't cracking down and that commissioners weren't cracking down on people, but they they kind of had... Um, there were standards for which they were cracking down. So at this time and up until the 1920s, Berlin itself is a huge hub of the queer community. And there are lesbian bars, there are gay male bars, there are bars for what are then known as transvestites. There are bars where everyone is intermingling, um, people of all various identities. There are bars for all people of all identities that are kind of... um, separated according to class. So, you know, the richer ecleons of society of gay and queer and and lesbian and transvestite people might be at one bar uh, drinking expensive cocktails while the poor queer people are going to be drinking like 10 cent beers. Um, But they all have the same vibe. They have really rowdy shows. They have what they call coffee hours where um, they would stop the shows, bring out really long tables, drink coffee at like two in the morning, clear the tables, pull the tables away and start their shows again. Um, And so it was like a big place of community. Um, And most of these places that scholars were going to and kind of picking the vibe up and reporting on as kind of oral historians, um, they were, they said that there wasn't usually like explicit, um, sex acts happening the most that you would see would maybe be uh seeing a couple a same-sex couple or a queer couple passionately make out on a couch um but usually they were meeting each other there and then leaving and a lot of these um gay bars and clubs were also in neighborhoods in berlin that army barracks were stationed in so soldiers would go in and find people to fuck um but the majority of the time the police crackdowns would happen um if like a show was too body. So like sometimes there were uh, lesbian performers that would get like a little bit too sexual up front and like a dance number and they would be hauled off and arrested, but then they like would be back there the next night. Um, and some of these commissioners were gay themselves, though they like weren't super open about it amongst the other commissioners. But like the ones who were, that's kind of where like the don't ask, don't tell policy came in. It was like, 
You do you, but we don't need to know about it. Here is where Magnus Hirschfield comes into play. So we've actually talked about Magnus Hirschfield before when I did the Lily Elb Danish Girl episode because she famously went to the Hirschfield Institute of Sexology in Berlin to have her um, to have bottom surgery um, or to have her oreectomy and then to to have bottom surgery because it was done in two parts back then. So that is who Magnus Hirschfield was. So um, in 1896... Um, the first gay magazine begins publication. It's called Dear Dear Egain. Translates to the self-owning. Um, and then in 1897, the next year, the physician Magnus Hirschfeld founded the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, which was the first gay rights organization. Um, a little bit about that. Um, Magnus Hirschfeld was actually... He was a controversial figure, but he was very celebrated by transvestites, by trans people, by gender variant people at that time, because even though he was not gender variant or trans himself, he employed um, like many, many, many trans people in his institute, up to 40 at one point. And whenever he would host talks in different European countries or around Germany about the work that he was doing, he would make sure that there were trans people who were also speaking um, at these um, at these talks. And so he was he was allowing them to use their voice, which is something that like really isn't even done today a lot of the time. Um, so by the beginning of the 20th century, a whole canon of gay literature has emerged as well as like silent films. And so we're seeing gay people being represented in cinema for the first time, mainly in Germany and in France. Um, one early unnamed advocate at the beginning of the 20th century used the phrase staying silent is death, um, which was nearly a century before AIDS activist coined the slogan silence equals death. Um, and activists at this point are bemoaning negative depictions of homosexuality. Um, Thomas Mann's Death in Venice was one target. There were debates over the ethics of outing people, and a schism opened between an inclusive mainstream faction and a more riotous anarchist wing. Um, and in the 1920s, with gay films and pop songs in circulation, a mass movement began. Um, and then in 1929, the Reichstag, which was the government in Germany, moved towards the official decriminalization of homosexuality. But unfortunately, the chaos caused by that fall stock market crash prevented a final vote. So that never happened and would actually not happen until um, the 1960s in uh, West Germany and then the 1990s in East Germany. Um, so a conversation that has happened, you know, that has been had for years, kind of a philosophical one is why did all this happen in Germany? Why was Germany the kind of incubator for the gay rights movement? Um, obviously no one can really answer that fully. Um, that's kind of how it goes. It's philosophical questions. (laughs) Um, but you're just gonna have to be comfortable with not (laughs) having the answer to that. (laughs) But Um, An idea that a lot of people have put out there is that um, the towering legacy of German idealism and romanticism um, is what helps to explain why the gay rights movement took place in Germany Um, and also why itself, why the movement itself has become somewhat obscure, um, especially outside the German school system or like why, why the memory of it has. Um, And so... um, you know, it's noted that like in this school of thought at that point, 
it's the reason that in this environment, there was nowhere else in the world that a figure like Ulrichs could have made the earlier speech that I mentioned and nowhere else where cries of stop would have been answered by shouts of no, no, continue, continue, which is what happened during his speech. As what is called gay urges are welling up across Europe in the early 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century, during the end of the Romantic era, France in particular becomes a haven because um, they don't have any sodomy laws at this point because they had never been officially outlawed, but they had just disappeared from the law books during the revolutionary period, uh, which was a direct reflection of a distaste for laws based on religious belief. So it's France and Germany that this movement, both like social and political, is is happening, but it's more so that the politics of it is actually taking place in Germany, whereas it's um, like a social movement in in France. Um, and this is where a philosopher called Schopenhauer comes into place. And Schopenhauer is a philosopher who takes a special interest in the complexities of sexuality. In a commentary added in 1859 to the third edition of The World is Will and Representation, he offered a notably mellow view of what he called pederasty um, saying that it was present in every culture that being gay was present in every culture Um, he says that it arises itself in some way from human or it arises in some way from human nature itself and so there was no point in opposing it he cited Horace um, who said that who said expel nature with a pitchfork she still comes back Um, and Schopenhauer proceeds to have kind of like a weird theory about homosexuality, but his theory is that nature promoted homosexuality in older men as a way of discouraging them from continuing to procreate. Weird. Okay. Don't agree. (laughs) But okay. Okay. So Carl Heinrich Ulrichs seizes on Schopenhauer's curious piece of advocacy when he begins his campaign. And he quotes the philosopher in one of his coming out letters to his relatives Well, Ulrich, you know, in the 1860s is on his pathway as an activist. Then we flash forward to the early 1900s where Magnus Hirschfeld takes on his role as an activist, but really more of like a science-based doctor um, and advocate in the community. Um, He writes in his 1914 book, The Homosexuality of Men and Women, that the Wagner Festival in Beirut had become a favorite meeting place for homosexuals and quoted a classified ad from 1894 in which a young man had sought a handsome companion um, for a bicycling expedition Um, and goes just goes on to kind of build a case that this has been going on for years these these relationships and kind of since the beginning of time so obviously like with every movement you can get um, a signal from Signal of acceptance from the culture, but legal protections are not always there. Um, And that is what was going on in Germany at this time. Beachy, the author that I mentioned, um, talks about Leopold, I'm going to fuck up this name, Leopold von Mirscheidt Hulissum, (laughs) who is a Berlin Berlin police commissioner in the Wilhelmine period. Um, So the late 19th century. Um, He... uh, credits him as being perhaps more than any other figure, someone who enabled Gay Berlin to blossom. Um, and Mirscheid Hulissim's motivations remain unclear. Uh, he was described as being of a scheming nature, 
uh, as noted by a colleague, and likes nothing better than to gather masses of data on the citizenry. Um, like a less malignant J. Edgar Hoover is how he is described. So he founds the Department of Homosexuals in 1885 and maintains a carefully annotated catalog of Berliners who conform to the type. Now, he was not gay, although his superior, Bernard von Richen, Richenfen, the police department's president... Richenfen, that's what I'm trying to be. ...is said to have had a taste for young soldiers. So Mirscheid Holseem might have reasoned that it was better to domesticate this new movement than to let it become politically radicalized or overtaken by criminal elements. So a real kind of placate, placate these queers... Let them have their fun so they don't organize into a tangible powerhouse movement. And that's which is, what Pride Month is all about. Yes. And that's where shit gets um, complicated in, in Germany. Um, is that there is half of the community are these rowdy, riotous anarchists who want to fuck the system. And the other half are more buttoned up gay, predominantly cis gay men who want to be accepted and kind of live their lives in relative quiet, regardless of what that means. And they end up finding themselves splitting from most of the queer centered movement at this time. And they find themselves buddying up with fascists and with Nazis before the Nazis become who the Nazis become. At this point, the Nazis are just assholes who are fascists but they're not nazis <laughs> and so these gay boys think that if they can get the fascists to be chill with them by distancing distancing themselves from the queerdos everything will be fine for them and we all know how that always plays out so mirshai holsam takes a fairly benevolent attitude towards Berlin's same-sex bars and dance halls, um, at least in the better-heeled parts of the city. Um, he's on cordial terms with many regulars, which was attested by August Steinberg, who was a gay man in Berlin who wrote an autobiographical novel in 1898 called The Cloister, and he talks about same-sex costume balls at the Café National and says the police inspector and his guests had seated themselves at a table in the center of one end of the room, close to which all the couples had to pass. The inspector called them by their Christian names and summoned some of the most interesting among them to his table. Mirscheid Holsom and his associates also showed solicitude for gay victims of blackmail and went, to, went so far as to offer counseling. Um, and in 1900, the commissioner wrote to Hirschfield expressing pride that he had saved people from shame and death, blackmail and suicide. Um, so he's like kind of an ally, which cool. Mm -hmm. No one really knows why, because he's not gay. And he's also like, a police commissioner, but he's an ally. Unfortunately for the community, a week later, um, he kills himself. Um, and no, it's not because he was a secret homosexual. It's because he was exposed as having taken bribes from a millionaire banker accused of statutory rape, which kind of sucks that he kills himself for blackmail or like over blackmail when he was protecting all these queers from blackmail. So they lose this ally and um, they lose his tacit approval which is really important to these people at this point, because like I said, they don't really have any legal protections. Magnus Hirschfeld's um, scientific humanitarian committee committee rather um, most likely would not have existed without Mirscheid uh, Holism's approval. Um, and a little bit about Hirschfeld. 
he was born in 1868, a year after uh, Ulrich's uh, rousing speech in Munich. Um, and he begins his radical activities in 1896. He publishes a pamphlet called Sappho and Socrates, which told of the suicide of a gay man who felt coerced into marriage. And the next year, he launches the committee. And soon after, he reprints Ulrich's writings. Um, and he builds on Ulrich's insight that same-sex desire was a congenital trait and develops a minutely variegated conception of human sexuality with a spectrum of sexual intermediaries appearing between the poles of the purely male and the purely female, i.e., he's saying non-binary and queer people do be existing. (laughs) It's not just dykes and faggots, baby. There's so many more in between, and we need to study them Mm -hmm. because they're not being talked about. Maybe he was a cha- maybe he was the first chaser. Who knows? <laughs> Hirschfeld felt that if homosexuality were understood as a biological inevitability, like Ulrich himself, who said, "Y'all, I know that it's the 1860s, but we were literally born this way. Um, born this way by Lady Gaga starts playing." He felt that if people could understand that people were born queer, or were born trans, or were born non-binary, that the prejudice would disappear. Through science to justice was his group's motto. Um, Now, Beachy, the author that I've mentioned a few times, is candid about Hirschfeld's imitations. Um, His scientific work blended research and advocacy to kind of an uncomfortable degree, some say. And some of his his confederates employed suspect methodologies. Um, One associate study of male prostitution in Berlin involved fucking a hustler. Kind of interesting. Um... But Hirschfeld's knowledge of sexuality was vast, and that just can't be argued. It was vaster than anyone had at that time. And his commitment to understanding gender variance and sexuality was huge. It was momentous. Um, And Beachy has several incisive pages comparing him favorably to Sigmund Freud, um, whose influence, unfortunately for all of us to this day, was far greater. Freud rejected the congenital hypothesis. He believed homosexuality to be a mutation of childhood development. He was the first bitch out here saying that gays be groomers, um, as they're saying now in 2022. Um, And Freud professed sympathy for gay people, um, but he didn't like them. And American psychoanalysts later fostered the destructive notion that Freud peddled that homosexuality could be cured through therapy. Freud was grandly systematic in his thinking, whereas Hirschfeld was messily empirical. The latter got closer to the intricate reality of human sexuality. That's what's argued by Beachy. Um, Hirschfeld also, as I said, he was a, con- a controversial figure. So he had enemies in Berlin's gay scene. Um, his interest in um, femininity among homosexual men and his attention to lesbianism and his fascination with cross-dressing among both gay and straight population populations. Um, also, something to be noted, Hirschfeld actually coined the word transvestism. Um this, all of this uh, offended um, gay men who believed that their lust for fellow males, especially for younger ones, actually made them more virile than the rest of the population. You know, they didn't want to be known as like feminine, faggy men. They were just normal dudes who wanted to fuck each other, fuck younger guys. That's because we're virile and we come a lot. Just dudes being bros. Yeah, just dudes being bros. And these cross-dressers are fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> that's why we like these Nazis. Uh, do you want to hang out with us? That's the plot of Cabaret. And we want to suck your fascist dick. Um, yeah, you know, it's very... Yeah, it's we see it today. Tale as old as time. Um, they want to separate themselves. 
Um, you know, a lot of these g- gay men. We see it today in the movie Fire Island. Fire Island. <laughs> um, Joel Kimmister, come on the pod. <laughs> um, Bowen Yang, come on the pod. Um, Bowen Yang, why'd you unfollow me on Instagram? Uh, Bowen Yang, why'd you unfollow on you on Instagram? Uh, I don't like that. That's the real reason I haven't watched Fire Island that's yet. That's funny. <laughs> no, that's not actually. I don't it's okay. really that care. That can be the real reason. No. On his safe space. We were never like friends. We just were on a few shows at the same time as each other and followed each other for a minute. But they, they um, tip well, I'll say that. You know, sometimes people get on Saturday Night Live and they want to leave the rest behind, and that's okay. <laughs> he still says hi to me at Respeech sometimes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked while <laughs> I was in a Deep K experience last summer, and I think that they kind of might have been one been in one too because they tweeted about it hours later. And I was like, were we both on K at the same that's time talking to each other? Beautiful queer experience. Yeah, I loved it. Um. So, like, a lot of these faggy men who didn't want to be considered faggy men were like, listen, we're boys being boys, we're sucking each other's cocks and dicks. And they believed that being married to a woman was actually, like, not incompatible with being gay. So true, bestie. So true! <laughs> so true. Wait, like, no. Like, okay, so, pause. You can be gay and still date a woman. And actually, I would be prefer... Gay. It's honestly the gayest thing you can do. Is to date a woman while you're gay. Yeah. I would prefer you, if you're dating me, to be gay. Like, yeah. fuck, man. I Tell want, me about it. I want... And not in a, like, fetishizing way. No, but you're saying, a, like, I'm, like, not even that horny a lot of the time. So it's like, No, no, fuck. no. Period. That's why. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I want you to get your, like, dirtiest, deepest sexual and fantasies. And come on and cuddle me. Yeah, but also, like, I'm okay if you have feelings for these men, too. Totally, just, like, but just come I'm home and cuddle just, me. Yeah, just come home to me. Come home with a cheesecake and your leftover I this, drugs. I mean, I feel this way kind of just in general about anyone I date, not just, like, specifically the sexuality of men who also fuck and date men. Yeah. I'm just saying, for those of you who are men who fuck and date men... You can date us too. Come on the pod and then come in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever come didn't, you didn't get out. You can come home at the end of the night and like put in, me. <laughs> you know, whatever come is left in your balls that you didn't um, deliver to whatever guy you were fucking. I famously feel this way about I'll um, be here ironing every, your shirts. Every girl I've had a crush on, it's like super a super unpopular opinion in the sapphic community, what I'm about to say, but every girl I've ever had a crush on, I'm like, I wanna see you get fucked by a guy. <laughs> Literally had this conversation with a girl at the Femme Forward Sex Party that we were at recently where we both were having this moment where we were like, Are we straight? Because we just both keep thinking. Well, I said it and then because I'm brave. And she was like, oh, my God, Nika, same. Where I was like, listen, this party is so hot, but I just can't help thinking it'd be a lot harder. Uh, harder. I'd be a lot harder. I'd be a lot hotter. <laughs> and I think this every time I'm fucking a girl, if a guy were involved, because I just want to see one of us being fucked by a guy while we're also fucking each other. But yeah. that's being bisexual. I want both there. I don't yeah. know what you're saying. That's what that, I'm that, saying. No, I mean, listen, it's not every time I fuck a girl, I want a guy to be there. I guess what I'm saying is when I'm attracted to women I and when I'm attracted to men, I like the idea of them fucking other people, listen, period. All I want to do is share a dick with another girl <laughs> or anyone, really, because I'm I'm uh, I believe in community needs being met. <laughs> but it's so that's, that's mutual aid my favorite porn to watch is like blowjob threesomes of just like two girls on a guy's dick I'm yeah. like that is sisterhood to me <laughs> okay well so I'm not trying to be sisters with the women well that sisters I'm that I fuck 
<laughs> sisterhood is like bro- a broad term. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure, Sister sure. wives, it's- hello. <laughs> hello. No, okay. Do- what I'm trying to say, because we are, we're dangerously on the line of still centering men in our attraction to women. I'm centering me. I'm centering my needs being And I'm, it. well, but I guess... I'm just I love to fuck women without a man involved, just clarifying. Right. And I I guess I don't always think about men. I'm just being I'm being dramatic. I love that. And be dramatic. It's one of your best qualities. No, I don't really I just but need, I don't really, you know. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like it's not like I'm fucking a man and I'm like um we're also speaking in such binary terms right now. So just to be clear, we're speaking in terms of men and women Listen, while also acknowledging that there right. are plenty of non-binary people including myself but i'm a non-binary person of the like woman experience and that's still something that is part of my identity so um when i'm fucking women i'm like speaking of speaking about it in sapphic terms and when i'm fucking men i guess i'm gorgeous name for a little boy Sapphic. Sapphic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I now I'm over-explaining, and I think people know what I mean. But I also just like want to clarify. Perfectly happy, fucking people who are not also fucking other people. It's just that I am like, I can't meet all of your needs, and I don't, I don't want, want to, to meet all your yeah. Needs. It's like I don't. I'm tired. <laughs> um, this is how I feel about. Okay, so this is how I've always I've gotten to this point now where it used to make me want to throw up and like cat, cat Katie Hammer or something falls out of her butt. The idea of like being with a guy who then would like being in an open relationship with a guy who's into women, specifically mm. cis women. I was mm-hmm. like that would make me want to kill myself. But now I'm like actually like I need you to do that because <laughs> I don't dilate, and I know from what I've heard, fucking pussy is amazing. <laughs> I've never done it, um, and that with a dick. You know, I've never put my dick inside of a puss. I believe it's amazing even if you don't. Yeah, but I'm saying I believe it. And there's only so much you can do with my pussy. And I'm not interested in dilating in order for someone to get those needs met Mm because they're not my needs. Mm -hmm. So please go fuck women or anyone with a pussy that you can get your dick in and then come back and fuck my butt. Mm hmm. Like, get your needs met. I can't sort of, meet all your listen, needs. Listen, I don't enjoy... I mean, maybe this will change because sexuality is an ongoing We've said this is why journey. we should... This is why we should be sister wives. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'm not even... T- I wasn't even about to talk about anal, but yes. Oh, yeah. So, so true. They can, so they can fuck Anya's pussy in my body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm more and more into anal as every day passes, to be oh, honest. Um, I Listen, whenever I say that I'm not that into anal, it's just because like the only time I've ever really explored it has been in relationships. Yeah. And I'm not in a relationship currently. Yeah. And I haven't... like I don't know. It just hasn't ever really like felt like the right moment it's a commitment to have for the first time you know in like a, a hookup yeah 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 it so, should be with someone you trust i i was a faggot so i just someone put their dick in me yeah but, i mean whatever to each their own i'm yeah. I, but just for me it just hasn't, I can't, no, it saying, hasn't I ever can't felt imagine. it hasn't ever felt like organic in for sure. non-relationships we're not editing any of this out no we're not way, going to this is a really great tangent but <laughs> but what i was about to say is i don't really I don't really enjoy strapping people. Yeah, and I don't is, think that I would either. This is something that um, people uh, are going to hate to hear because I think that I specifically, there's something about me where people really want to get strapped by me. Both people with pussies and people with dicks alike want me to strap them. You give me top energy. You don't give me strap energy. Thank you. Thank I have you. never once looked to you and thought, 
that's a person who likes to strap. Also, like, I'm sorry, I just don't carry a backpack around enough for people uh, to think that I would be somebody who just is ready to strap. Like, it, that's a very specific brand that is yeah. usually visibly, you can visibly confirm if someone's a strap-on, like, yeah. lesbian or whatever, um, by their backpack game. Totes. And I'm somebody who prefers to, like, have no bag on me at all. I'm like, my phone and my keys are in my pockets, and that's all I need. Well, okay, here's the thing. I don't mind being strapped. I think it's hot and fun. But also, I'm like, I don't need, I don't need anybody, unless it's that you really enjoy strapping, then let's do it, because it's hot to me to do whatever the other person enjoys. But, like, I don't need you to strap me. Yeah. We have all these other things we can do. I just don't need to do that. And I personally don't need to strap anybody. Yeah. Um, I really want to fist someone. <laughs> I, I have decided. I'm, I'm coming around to fisting. I mean, we have the hands for it. I have such a beautiful... Like, it would just slip right in. We have tiny, um, tiny little I, hands. Maybe that's going to be our joint, ins- or our joint uh, OnlyFans content, is we both fist people together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love the self-censoring that just happened, and I want to know so badly what other people think it is that you just said. I'm trying to be less um, messy on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm in my self-censoring um, era. But if you want to hear us a tiny bit less censored, Just go, to the go to the Patreon. Yeah, or like hang out with us. Or hang out with us for five minutes. We are <laughs> not discreet. Let's um, definitely fist people for OnlyFans content. Yeah, we're fisting girls now. Yeah, I'd be so good at it. And then we can sign off each video by like giving each other like a yes. <laughs> we pound each other's fists. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wait, yeah. that's so funny. I want to like fist someone and then spit in their mouth. That's like kind yeah. of like the train I'm on right now. That just absolutely. actually like made my clit kind of just like boing. Um, <laughs> okay. Was the idea of doing that. Anyway, so this tangent brought to you by <laughs> us being certified um, polyamorous freaks. freaks. Um, yeah, so back, <laughs> back to the Nazis. So, back to the Nazis. So much like... Um, we did not see that tangent coming. So much like um, us being fucked in the ass, this is where <laughs> well, this or movement... Or us fucking other people in the ass with our fists. Yeah, so much like us fucking other people um, in the ass with our fists, this is where <laughs> the movement starts getting fucked in the ass by the fists of these... Um, normal gays is what I'm going to call them who are like we can fucking be married to women and still suck and fuck men and we're normal we're not chicks with dicks and people in dresses um, so they start um, a their own movement in 1903 um, and it's led by the writers Adolf Brandt and Benedict Friedlander and the group is called the Geimenschaft der Eignen or Society of Self-Owners, the name referencing a concept from the anarchist philosophy of Max Stirner. Um, Brand's magazine becomes their mouthpiece, mixing um, literary philosophical musings with mildly pornographic photographs of boys throwing javelins. In the same camp was the writer Hans Blucher, who argued that eroticism was a bonding force in male communities. And Blucher makes a particular study of the Wandervogel movement, which is a band of nature-hiking youth. Nationalism, misogyny, and anti-Semitism were rampant in these masculinity-obsessed circles. And Hirschfeld, who was Jewish, becomes a point of contention. He's deemed too worldly, too womanly, insufficiently devoted to the glistening Aryan male. Um, Now, Beachy celebrates the inclusivity of Hirschfeld, who welcomed feminists into his coalition. Um, Unfortunately, women are largely absent from 
uh, Gay Berlin um, from the book Gay Berlin. There's no mention, for example, of the theater and music critic Theo Anna Sprugli, who in 1904 spoke to, spoke to the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, why can I not say that word, on the subject of homosexuality in the women's movement, helping to inaugurate a parallel movement of lesbian activism. Um, sex between women was never explicitly outlawed in Imperial Germany. Because um, it was too hot. <laughs> paragraph 175, the anti uh sodomy law applied only to men um but that doesn't mean that lesbians found it any easier to live an open life um employing the alias anna ruling sprungly proposed that the gay rights and feminist movements and she was right for this aid each other aid each other uh reciprocally the principles at stake in both struggles she wrote were freedom equality and self-determination references to george sand and clara schumann and her speech betray an essentially romantic vision Um, now, unfortunately, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning, this story has a pretty sad and fucked up epilogue, um, uh, starting with, with Sprungli. Um, so after Sprungli gave her historic speech, one that may have exasperated the split between the masculinist and the sexological factions of the gay movement, as Beachy calls them, she said nothing more about lesbianism. Um, instead, she falls into a conventional and even conservative journalistic career and adopts a jingoistic tone during the First World War, concealing her radical past in the Nazi era. Um, it's, you know, people wonder if she remained openly lesbian as circumstances permitted, but nothing is known about her later life. And her sudden silence suggests how quickly gains in the movement slipped away and can still slip away. So during the golden years of the Weimar Republic, which is the 1900s to the 1920s, which occupy the last chapters of what is known as Gay Berlin. Um, Gays and lesbians achieved an almost a dizzying degree of visibility in popular culture. Does that sound familiar to anyone? They could see themselves on screen in films like Madgden and Uniform and Different from the Others, which is a tale of a gay violinist driven to suicide, with Hirschfeld featured in the supporting role of a Y sexologist. Disdainful representations of gay life were not only lamented, but also protested by queer people. Beachy points out that when a 1927 Comiskey Oprah review called Strictly Forbidden mocked gay men as effeminate, a demonstration at the theater prompted the Comiskey Oprah to remove the offending skit. And the openness of Berlin's, Berlin's gay scene attracted visitors from more benighted lands. Christopher Isherwood lived in the city from 1929 to 1933, enjoying the easy availability of hustlers, who in Beachy's book have a somewhat exhausting chapter to themselves. Now, within the gay community, the masculine and sexological split persisted. Hirschfeld was now at the helm of the Institute for Sexual Science, which, as I explained earlier, was a museum, a clinic, and a research center housed in a villa in the Tiergarten district. He goes on to widen his sphere of interests and offers sex advice to straight couples, advocated for more liberal divorce laws and birth control, collaborated on the first primitive sex change operations, and generally acquired a reputation as the Einstein of sex, as he was called on an American lecture tour. To the masculinist, though, Hirschfeld appeared to be running a sexual freak show. Adolf Brand published crude anti-Semitic attacks on Hirschfeld in the pages of Dear Eigein, and some of Brand's associates were flirting with Nazism itself, and not just in a metaphorical sense. One of them literally became the lover of Ernest Röhm, the head of the brown shirts. Now, the brown shirts were one of the earliest iterations of the Nazis in the 20s. So after the First World War, a new figure entered the fray, Friedrich Radziwit. 
an entrepreneur who established a network of gay publications, including the first lesbian magazine, uh, Die Freundin. Um, Radziwit hoped to heal divisions and establish a true mass movement, one from which he stood to make a great deal of money. And in 1923, he took the lead in forming the Human Rights League, which was a consortium of gay groups. Distancing himself both from Hirschfeld's emphasis on gender ambiguity and from Brand's predatory focus on boys, he pervaded a vision of homosexual bourgeois respectability, in Beachy's words. Fearful of displaying political bias, he attempted to placate the Nazis, believing that they too would see the light. This never works. In fact, the driving force behind the brown shirts was a member of the Human Rights League, as Radziwitz must have known. Rome, who never made a secret of his homosexuality um, and who was very close to Hitler and Hitler who uh, chose to overlook it. Although the Nazi leader had denounced Hirschfeld in the gay movement as early as the 1920s, he was too, speaking about Adolf Hitler himself, he was too dependent on Rome's army of thugs to reject him. In the early 30s, German leftists tried to tarnish the Nazis by publicizing Rome's affiliations and affairs. Brand, having finally grasped the ruthlessness of Hitler's methods, joined the assault. The most dangerous enemies of our fight are often homosexuals themselves, he sagely observed. Hirschfeld, though, disliked the campaign against Rome and the conflation of homosexuality and fascism that implied that it implied. The practice of outing political figures had surfaced before, notably during a pre-war scandal surrounding Kaiser Wilhelm II's advisor, Prince Philip zu Uhlenburg Hirschfeld, and Hirschfeld had criticized the tactic even then, which was known as the path over corpses. So unfortunately, as I've alluded to, Nazism brought Berlin's gay idol to a swift and savage end. Hirschfeld left Germany in 1930 to undertake a worldwide lecture tour, which was wise, and he never returned to Germany. And two years later, or three years later, in May 1933, a little more than three months after Hitler became Reich Chancellor, the Institute for Sexual Science was ransacked by Nazi youth, and much of its library went up in flames during Joseph Goebbels' infamous book burning in the Orpenplatz. Um, Rome, who became less indispensable once Hitler took power, was slaughtered in 1934. Um, and Hirschfeld, who had watched the destruction of his life's work on a newsreel in Paris, died the next year from a heart attack. Brand survived until 1944, when he eventually died, falling victim to Allied bombs. And vestiges of paragraph 175, the sodomy laws, lingered in the German legal code until 1994. Um, it's important to note that 20,000 books and writings by Hirschfeld and his uh, associates were burned in that fire. Um, and there is no written record of nearly all of those 20,000 books to this day. Um, so just completely lost forever. Um, and in the decades after the Second World War, German historiography fell under the sway of the Sonderweg or Special Path School, um, which held that the country was all but doomed to Nazism uh, because of the perennial weakness of its bourgeois liberal factions. Um, Back your books up to the cloud. To the cloud. I mean, yeah. So, like, honestly, that's it. This movement came to a close with the Nazi party taking power and burning that institute. And to me, the main fuck up and mistake is one that we're still repeating today and have always repeated, which is that the people that are deemed as freaks and who are 
not able to blend into a bourgeois society and also don't want to blend into a bourgeois con- like uh, like normative society are the ones that are pushed away and then these smaller factions of the community that are able and do want to blend in try to take power and they're able to take power for just a little bit before hetero people inevitably turn on them because our enemies will always be our enemies regardless of when they catch up to being your personal enemy. Um, And it's happening now. I think this can be absolutely linked to what has been happening for years and what's happening right now where for years, gender, you know, gender critical, transphobic gay men and women have been pushing trans and non-binary people to the margins and to the sides for fear that we're social pariahs that are going to fuck up their chances of getting to live normal lives. And they had some political power in doing that. But now they're finding that they are now being called groomers and pedophiles and sex offenders, etc., because it was always going to the boomerang was always going to come right back around to hit them in the head as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only way for us to not have our history literally erased and to not have ourselves literally brutalized is to stop being pick me's to stop being pick me's and to fight together and to band together because we have one common enemy and it's not in our community. Um, or it doesn't have to be within our own community. It's out there. It's the fascist who want us dead, who don't want us alive. And they're always going to come for you no matter what. They're just going to come for you last. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. First they came for the trans people and the non-binary people. And I said, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they came for me and I was like, wait, 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 <laughs> Stop. First they came for the trans people and the non-binary people and the gender non-conforming people because I told them to. Yeah. <laughs> Moral of the story. Moral of the story. It's like kind of uh, tired to say, but like we need to stop letting history repeat itself. itself, And that's not just in the context of this specific chunk of history, but also like fascism as a whole (laughs) um, is repeating itself. Like that quote I keep coming back to, history doesn't uh, doesn't always repeat itself, but it does often rhyme. Yeah. Let me list my sources. Um, An article from The Advocate called A A Peak, and I recommend reading all of these. They're all for like very long, beautiful, good articles um this one's from the advocate called a peek inside berlin's queer club scene before hitler destroyed it that was my particular favorite by clayton j um winsant um that's where i got like a real view of just what it was like for the for queer people back then another one is from the holocaust memorial day trust called the 6th of may 1933 looting of the institute of sexology And the one that I kind of got the bulk, or not kind of, did get the bulk of um, my information from is a article from the New Yorker called Berlin Story, How the Germans Invented Gay Rights More Than a Century Ago by Alex Ross. Um, Yeah. And so those are, and 
and that article itself is um, kind of a review of the book of Robert Beachy's Gay Berlin, The Birthplace of a Modern Identity, which is a book I definitely plan on buying and reading because I didn't know really any of this. Like I knew that Berlin was a haven and still kind of is like for queer people. I obviously knew about the Hirschfeld Institute, but I didn't know that it was like literally like the founding of a modern political gay rights movement, at least like in the Western world. Mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe there was more of a movement in Eastern countries, but yeah. Yeah. As far back as the 1860s, like that's crazy. Totally. So yeah. Well, damn. Yeah. Shout out. Know your history. Know your history. (laughs) Know your history. Know your history. Know your history. Know your Chani story. Um, um, no, well, you're them story. No, you're they them story. No, you're faggot story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, can't wait for us to get canceled for literally everything we say on this podcast. Same. We're gonna have, we're gonna be on so many trips because <laughs> our bank accounts are so always gonna be full. Our bank accounts are gonna be so fat from all the controversial shit we say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So, sorry we want to see everyone we're attracted to get fucked by other people we're attracted to. Like grow up. Grow up. Sorry that we want to fist people. <laughs> grow up. Grow up. Uh, grow up and um let us fist you. Yeah, and while you're growing up and letting us fist you, maybe um like subscribe to our Patreon. Subscribe to our Patreon best or p- patreon.com slash best, best mistakes pod. Um, email us your More mistakes, mistakes at bestmistakespod at gmail.com. Buy tickets Buy to tickets our live show. To So True Bestie. Ticket links are in both of our bios. June They're 30th. Both. Yes, June 30th. Um, um, and test your holes. Test your drugs. And kiss, kiss your, your friends, friends on, on the, the mouth. mouth. And it's Pride Month, so maybe fist your friends as well. Fist your friends on the mouth. Fist your friends on the mouth after you kiss <laughs> on them the, on the mouth. Like, on the mouth on their butt. On their butt. Bye. Bye. <laughs>